welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. Tonight I want to start a short series that I have entitled for the, for the sake of ease, simply as Follow Me. I had considered entitling it, What a Great God We Have at Our, at our Disposal, but I thought we'd keep that for a later day. I want us to read a familiar passage. I want us to read it in the NIV, and I want us to read it in the Messenger, because it'll be the core of what we look at over the next two to three weeks. What I like about the, the Messenger, or the message, is that it adds an urgency to it that perhaps the other version, the NIV, doesn't. So can we put that up, and I will read those for us. This is the NIV. As Matthew 4 says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. The message puts it like this. Walking along the beach of Lake Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, later called Peter, and Andrew. They were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. Jesus said to them, come with me. I'll make you a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions, but simply dropped their nets and followed. A short distance down the beach, they came upon another pair of brothers, James and John, Zebedee's sons. These two were sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, mending their fishnets. Jesus made the same offer to them, and they were just as quick to follow, abandoning boat and father. I think it's very fair and accurate to say that we live in an age, we live in a society, we live in a culture where everything needs to fit into our plan or our schedule. Whatever that may be, everything needs to fit into our schedule. This is one of the consequences of living in a capitalistic, consumer-orientated society that everything revolves around us. Everything revolves around me. You know, life really is about me. And that's a consequence of living in the society that we do. It's an interesting sight, actually, that when the Berlin Wall collapsed in 1989-90, and with it the collapse of uh, communism ushered in by Gorbachev, and the states that were once all communist fell like dominoes, those of us who were in the West were very quick to say, see, we told you, communism doesn't work. We were right all the time. But as we have seen uh, over the last 15 to 20 years, our capitalist system has teetered on the brink of failure many times with financial collapses coupled with the conditions of many inner cities here in the West. We have become less strident and we have become much quieter. Perhaps the reason is because we aren't able to critique ourselves quite as well or as others from outside are able to critique us. It's hard to look at oneself. I actually checked this up uh, on Google. There is a Chinese proverb that says, if you want to know what life is like in water, don't ask a fish. A fish has never lived outside its water in watery environment. It has no experience or language to describe its natural environment. And so it has no means to convey what it takes for granted. And you know, the truth can be the same for us. Much of what we accept as normal 
because we were born into and experience it every day, is therefore beyond our ability to appreciate and to describe. It is only perhaps as we get older that we might begin to realize our experience of life is unique and special in certain ways, and is not the experience of everyone. Sometimes, therefore, we are not good at critiquing our own culture. Instead, what we do is that we shape our understanding of the world according to our cultural perspectives. So, if we are not careful, we can create a consumer version of the Christian faith. Please forgive me for this, but to misquote Shakespeare, I stand at the center of my world like a colossus. I decide, I dictate, I pray for what I need, and God is a magic worker at the end of my desires, and he provides, or at least should provide me with everything that I want. That can become our perspective. He becomes the divine shop in the sky that will provide me with all that I need. A career, a husband, a wife, my own home, children, comfort, status, and success. We end up creating a theology not shaped by, but also encouraged by the culture that we live in, where I am in the center and God is at the edge. Thus the temptation, as I said earlier, to call this series, what a great God we have at our disposal. So church gatherings, church services should be designed around what we like rather than what pleases him. And discipleship becomes something that fits in around what we want rather than what God wants of us. It's a dangerous place to be for the God we tend to create when we do this is a God who is just like us, but bigger. He has our preferences, our desires, our view of the world, but just bigger, for he is better at it than you and I. This, however, inherently leads to problems, for when you read of the God of the New Testament and the Old Testament, he is not like this at all. For he asks very hard questions of those who follow him. He has a purity that none of us can match. He has expectations that demand giving him everything. And when we try to squeeze this God into the 21st century New Zealand Christianity, it becomes rather difficult because he won't fit. He is too big, too different, too other than we are. How does this evidence itself I believe it shows itself when we discover that God has exactly, I love God because he has exactly the same views that I've got. You know, my, my God is a clever God. He shares the same views. And, being sarcastic, sorry. The same views. He has the same views as me on politics, on gender, on sexuality. And good on him, he endorses all my choices. I am so pleased. But, You know, not only does sometimes God endorse all our choices, he doesn't seem to mind that our trade trade choices or the way we choose our coffee or food or clothing or grain exploits the poor for that is not important to us. Let's flip it over. Sometimes we create a God that is so consumed, he is so consumed by the environment by climate climate change, by ethical trading, by recycling, or by the coffee beans that we buy, that he has lost interest in the fact that people are going to hell. That he has lost lost sight of the fact is that there are homeless, there are needy people, there are 
immigrants, there are homeless who need our help. When we create God in our own image, something falls off, which either side of the scales we want it to be. And when we create God in our own image, we have to be (laughs) incredibly careful. But when we read the God of the Bible, I always find he doesn't fit into my mold. So tonight and in the coming weeks for a few moments, I want to start this series about God and following him, and he who won't fit into our plans, but rather a God who has called us to follow him, and there is no other way. When Jesus says, follow me, it's not up for negotiation. He is setting the rules. He is setting what it looks like. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I know that I need him to keep on transforming my mind into the image and into that of Christ's day in, day out, because if I'm not careful, I slip in my thinking, I slip in my theology, and I can become far more central than is really, really comfortable. I'm sure that all of us at some stage or another are are guilty of trying to make God jump to our tune, where I set the agenda and I say, God, keep up with me, this is what I need. I need this, I need that, I need the next thing. For goodness sake, keep up with me. Keeping him at the edge and me at the center, as it were. We allow allow ourselves to be tricked into believing that if we can keep God at the edge or at arm's length, then we are fairly safe. I'd like to say that it's far from the truth. And it's actually the other way around. As I said earlier, we live in a culture that thinks everything revolves around us. But at the heart of the Christian faith, when Christ comes to us, and we say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, be Lord of everything. Everything changes, and it revolves around us. He is Lord, and we are not. He owns me, and I don't own him. He is the center of my life, and not him. I am under his authority, and he is not under mine. The most fundamental commitment of a Christian is that I will do what he wants and not what I want. In some ways, this is Christian Discipleship 101, but I sometimes think that we need to remind ourselves of what happens when we say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I invite you into my life to be Lord of all. Tonight, I want to ask a really simple question. What kind of God do we worship? What kind of God do we worship? You may say, that's a really silly question. Surely because we we worship the God of the Bible. That's all, we all do that, don't we? We come to church, we worship the God of the Bible. I'm not sure that we do. I'm not sure that the God of the Bible is actually sometimes the God that we, we do follow. It's not the one that we have created. I sometimes think that we can follow a God that we have made in our own image or out of the imagination of our upbringing. Yes, for many of us, we have come to Christ and we've asked him to forgive our sins. We've asked him to come into our lives. But for many, from here on, we have unwittingly followed a God that has been cobbled together out of our own life's distortions, heartaches, influences, fears, and family. Of course, we will say we follow God of the revealed word. But in essence, I'm not sure that that is true or accurate. The kind of God we believe in is so 
so crucial. What, um, what happens if we end up following a Jesus tonight and have had our sins forgiven, but that the God we are seeking to follow is a God simply of an inflated version of ourselves or an inflated version of someone who we expect to fulfill all our demands? A life where perhaps we have lived with distortion, distrust, and resentment, and these things have shaped the God that we worship tonight. I was sitting in my office on, <coughs> excuse me, on Tuesday morning when the news broke about the bombing in Manchester and the atrocities that was happening. The news was, was breaking. Um, it was very poignant. I've been to the MEN arena a number of times. We were there as a family, and it's an incredible place. It uh, holds a lot of people, and I know where it is. And as the news w- was breaking, uh, we were having a, a lunch with Jessica, and I was following the news on Twitter. I was trying to not make it obvious. You know when you try to do that stuff, and you try to follow something on Twitter, and you're supposed to be in another meeting, and you're trying to look as if you're listening to the person or listening to the person next to you. But I was following Twitter and what was happening in Manchester, and the death toll was rising and rising. And when I was doing that, I came across a tweet by Katy Perry. You'll all know who Katy Perry is. <laughs> and she says this, praying for everyone at Ariana Grande's show. Praying for everyone at Ariana Grande. See, I'm so old, I can't even say the name. But you know who I mean. <clears throat> please hear me when I, what I'm saying now. Please, please hear what I'm saying. I'm not here to be critical of Katy Perry. Um, Everything that I'm going to talk about in the next 90 seconds is in the public domain. It is something that she has come out and said. When you read that tweet, that is incredibly kind. It's either very kind or it's very cynical, but we're going to go on the thing that it's very, very kind. And she says, praying for everyone. Katy Perry has been on record for years that she has disavowed the faith of her parents. She has gone on record as saying her parents are Christians, her parents are pastors, and you probably know more about this than I do. But she has been quite critical of her parents, and she has said, I want nothing to do with the faith of my parents. I want nothing to do, in other words, with the, with the Christian faith. As I said, she was raised in a Christian home and has rejected it. So I want to ask her a question. If I had the chance to sit with her tonight, I would say, Miss Perry, who are you praying to? Whom are you praying to? If you want nothing to do, if you want to bag the faith of your parents and the Christian faith, may I ask, who is this being that you are asking to intervene, to step in and to do something about it? Please tell me more about him. Please tell me more about him. What's he like? What's his character? Who is he? Is he a good God or is he a malevolent God? Tell me about his character. Please tell me anything you can about him. We have the right to reject God, but I'm not sure that we have the right to create one in our own image. (coughs) So for us here today, our God so desires to say to us that he wants to make us in his own image so that we can get to know more and more about him and that we can be transformed into what his son Jesus Christ is like, the God of holiness, 
reaches out tonight and says, my character changes you. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. So let's do something about it. What if putting him at the center means you become more like him? Wouldn't that be incredible? I want to be more like Jesus. Not that I'm bagging myself, but I I just need so much more of Jesus. And I want to become more like him. You see, since since the year 2000, there have been more speeches made in the British Houses of Parliament about God than in the whole of the hundred years before. You see, God is very popular in the United Kingdom, especially at the moment when in less than two weeks there will be a general election. God is very popular, but Jesus is an entirely different story. If you mention Jesus in the public arena in the United Kingdom, it's to talk about someone who is deeply unpopular. But as followers of Jesus, it is in him we see God more clearly than in anyone else. And as we plan our lives, our futures, our tomorrows, our career, I simply ask, let's ask Jesus what he wants. Not that what is around us or is wrong, but let's make sure that Jesus is at the epicenter of everything that we do. Ephesians 1 verses 9 to 10 says this, it makes, declares the intention of God. It says this, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the time reaches their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And God is making it perfectly clear here in in, in Ephesians that he wants to change every bit of his creation. He wants to bring it under the rule and the lordship of Jesus Christ and that we are part of it. That as he transforms the world, he wants to transform it through you and I. That darkness is changed into light. That where we have despair, it is changed into hope. Where fear is abundant or abounding, it is turned into faith. Through the call to follow him, that we are his hands and feet. In Christian discipleship, he invites us to a partnership, as I said, where we become his hands and his feet. You know, Psalm 100 tells us we were made for his pleasure, that we, each and every one of us, were made for his pleasure. But you know, to be honest, I'm not sure you can always tell that that's the fact. Take doing church, for example. (coughs) Often the way the church is done today, you would think that we were the audience and that God was the entertainer. And we feel perfectly entitled to say, I didn't really enjoy church today, or particularly seen in worship. How many believers, I wonder, across the Western world today will leave church and say, oh, I didn't really enjoy worship today, or I didn't like the person who led worship today. Gosh, I prefer it when so-and-so leads it. I did tell Aaron that I was going to mention that. (laughs) Friends, I'm sorry, but... I don't think that worship is for you. I don't think that worship was made for me to be entertained. For us to be sitting back as an audience and saying, go on then, pastor. Go on then, worship leader. Take me somewhere. I believe that we were made for his enjoyment. 
and it's not about us, and it is about him. I don't think that we gather to make us smile. I think we gather to make him smile, that it is not all about us. I love this quote. I know some of you are big Beth Moore fans, so I'll throw this in one really good. Beth Moore says, if church equals grading the pastor and the worship team on how good the show is, let's save ourselves the trouble of Bibles and bring popcorn and Coke. It's good, isn't it? Really, really good. See, when we seek to fit in with his plans, our perspectives change. He doesn't kneel before us and ask of us, how can he fix everything for us? Just let me know and I will do it for you. He says, kneel before me and submit yourself to me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It is all about him. You know, I, I love my job, and one of the reasons is because I get to get involved in so many people's lives. I can't see them, but I know one. I was sitting with two of our young people. One of them's here, the other one isn't here, so I'm not going to bag them. But they said to me, Chris, what is your job description? And I was a little bit, oh, where were they going? They said, all you seem to do is drink coffee with people. I said, don't tell Don. I said, they said, can we have your job when you've gone? Because you seem, that's all you seem to do. And they were, I think it was slightly tongue-in-cheek, and I think they were just having a go at me. But I have this great job. I have this great portfolio. I get, I get a sense of purpose of sitting and chatting with people about the things that matter to them about the challenges they face, the wonders that they face. I love sitting with people and talking about the stuff of their life. I enjoy sitting with those who are just starting out in a career or or in their 20s and early 30s and asking them that most important question, what does God want you to do with your life? I think that is the most wonderful question you can ask a young person who's come to Jesus and say, what does God want you to do with your life? What is he saying to you? What, are the, how, what has he made you to be? It's not just relevant for young people. It's a valid question for all of us. What does God want us to do with us, whatever stage we're at in life? Friends, tonight, I'm not trying to be confrontational. I am simply trying to apply Christian discipleship to all and every one of us. Are we really doing what God wants for our life? Have we taken the time recently just to simply ask him? When was the last time each and every one has said, God, you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Is it really what you want me to do? And I am sure that 90% of the time you'll come back and you'll have that whisper, just keep going. But are we keeping him truly, clearly at the center of our life? These gifts, these talents, these abilities that you have given me, are they being maximized for, for your kingdom? One theologian wrote, his name was John Howard Yoder, he said this, it is the task of the church to discover what God is doing in the world and join him there. I love that. It's the task of each and every one of us to find out what God is doing in our life, in our family, in our street, in our community, in our school, in our university, in our farm, and join him in what he is doing. That is just so good. God, again, in this generation as he has every generation before, is asking, I should say, is seeking a people who will go wherever he asks them, will do whatever he asks them, and will be whatever he asks them to be. You know, not for gateway. 
but for the kingdom. Maybe it's the marketplace, maybe it's the classroom, maybe it's at home, maybe it's the lab, maybe it's the farm. It may be a multitude of places, but are we asking those questions because they are key to discipleship? I'll share with you two very quick stories. The first one that had an impact on my life and has been an impact in my life for 20 years, the one is really, really recent. <coughs> this will surprise you, but I've got an old friend and um, he's got, when he got saved, he had a really powerful encounter with God. He was raised in a Christian home but it was a really, really powerful encounter. And he just really felt that God had just really forgiven his sins. He just knew the awesomeness of that moment. <laughs> and he set out then and said, I want to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. Don't forget, he was just newly saved. He didn't know what that meant. But he knew that he wanted to be available to do whatever God asked him at any time and at any moment. So what he did was, he slept in his clothes. That's a true story. He slept in his clothes because this is how his logic went. God may call me to do anything at any time, so I want to be ready. So for about four months, much to his mother's disgust, he slept in his clothes so that if God woke him in the night, he'd be there to go. After about four months, he decided, somebody said to him, that's not quite how it works, Stephen. But you know what it did? It set a trajectory for his life that Stephen, when he was saved in 2021, is now well in his 50s. Do you know what? He still follows hard after God. It set him on a journey, set him on a trajectory that would make him always available for the things of God. He is one of the most delightful people I know, but he still has that passion to follow hard after the things of God. <clears throat> the second thing, just this whole area of discipleship and something that's very, very personal uh, to myself. It's something I, I'm working through at the moment and I know that Don and Karen know this. You know, recently, in March, um, Megan and Tom got married and my, my sister came over for it and those of you who had the, the pleasure of meeting my sister, you know, as a brother, you always want to say that slightly tongue-in-cheek, don't you? But she was good. She's good fun and she's got a laugh and she was, she was here for two weeks and it was so good to have her here. And we were talking about what life meant for us at this stage and where we were going. As a family, I'm the youngest of three. I've got a brother, my sister, and I'm the youngest. I am 55. She turns 60 in a couple of, in a couple of months. And we were at home one afternoon, and we had this really hard, honest discussion about the reality of where we are at at life. And as I said, we're a close family but we don't live in each other's pockets. We, we, we speak regularly, and uh, there's a, there a closeness between us. And we were talking around the fact is, she was saying to me, where are you feeling God is, what is God saying to you in life at this time? And I was saying the same to her. And um, we were realistically talking about is that we are happy here, and we feel that God is, this is where God wants us. She and my brother and his family are happy in Wales, and they're happy for us, and we're happy for them. But this is where it went. She's 60, I'm 55. I've not been home for three years. I have no plans to go back again this year, so it'll be four or five years before I go. Realistically, at our age, we probably have three to four more face-to-face -face opportunities to talk this side of eternity. Sounds very morbid. Wasn't a morbid conversation? I'm 55, she's 60. 
Now we can Skype and do that, but we have realistically, based on the last few years, three to four, if we're very fortunate, five more times that we will meet each other face to face this side of eternally, eternity. It sharpens you in the whole area of discipleship in knowing where God wants you to be and what God wants you to do. And that's not, that's just, we're having this conversation just because we're getting old. It's not because we're spiritual, it's just that that's where we're at. That's where we're at. This is what discipleship means for us at this moment in time. And I believe that discipleship is important and crucial at every stage of life for each and every one of us. And that God demands that something from us. What happens if I said about being involved in people's lives? What if you're my age tonight, instead of trying to work out how I can get enough money to retire or buy a batch, God says, no, 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 don't do that. I've got other plans for you. I want to change your street. I want to change your workplace. I want to do incredible things through you. To say yes to Jesus is the biblical thing. To say yes to him is the only real way to find life. You know, one of the things that so often freaks us out is that we think that if we say yes to Jesus, we will lose control. And the answer is, yes, you will. That's, that's it. You say yes to Jesus and control goes out through the window. But it's not as if you're giving away control to some maverick or some scary being. You're giving away control to the creator of heaven and earth. Andy Stanley says it like this. Here's a scary thought. What if God's called you to go beyond your comfort level? Would you be afraid? Would you try to explain it away or dismiss it as impractical? And in the process, would you miss out on a harvest opportunity for which God has explicitly prepared for you in the first place? As I said, we're not giving our, uh, our control away to someone who is inconsistent or has got a crazy character, but is almighty God. Sometimes, some things that really, one of the things that really concerns me is when I hear people talk about following Jesus and the Christian discipleship, that they make it out to the biggest drudgery on earth, that between now and heaven, your life is going to be hell, and God's going to call you to do all these crazy things in difficult places. He might call you to do crazy things in difficult places, but he is going to be with you. And you know, I think that's the exception. We'll talk upon this in, in coming weeks. To be called into a relationship with God through Jesus is to really, really live. To be in a pathway to become all that God wants for us is one of the greatest pursuits that we will have this side of eternity. To discover purpose and identity, a significance and a meaning is to be found in Jesus. Yes, there will be doubts. Yes, there will be uncertainties. As I begin to draw this to a close, I wish to do so with two thoughts. Firstly, discipleship is no bed of roses, but it's still the greatest life and most fulfilling life that we can be called to. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost. And as I said, we'll unpack most of this again over the next couple of weeks. Jesus puts it bluntly. Whoever wants to be a disciple... must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. 
but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their own soul? Just putting it out there, that there is a cost. But secondly, I, <coughs> I have been revisiting over this last week a word that most of us are familiar with if we've come to church for any long time, and it is that of conversion. And for most of us, that is our experience. To become a Christian, to be converted, means to give our lives to the, rein, uh, the reins of our life to God and to allow him to determine the course that we take. But I have to say, and this is just my thoughts, I think there's a lot of nonsense talked about in conversion. See, for when we come to Christ, we give up the rights to our lives and we give them to Jesus. It's not a burn and turn so that we don't go to hell and we go to eternity. When we come to Christ, we give him the reins of our life and we give them all to him. Conversion doesn't make us free to do what we like. It doesn't allow us to dictate our own pace and what we do on our own terms. Some of us, may I suggest, came to Christ and we still think that we are in control of our lives. I'm not going to serve because I don't want to. It doesn't work that way. When we get converted, and when he says, this is what you will do, we say, I will do it. This is what conversion is. You know, in a very politically correct, in a consumer-based society, it's not an easy thing for people to hear. If Jesus says, you do it, well, I, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not. But Jesus says, this is the part of the rules, as it were. I'm a Christian, but I want to do whatever I want to and will follow him on my terms. And I don't think that we're really following him, are we? To be a follower, to be a servant means that we will do whatever he tells us. And this militates so strongly against 21st century Kiwi living. None of us like to be told what to do, me probably more than anybody else. However, this is where Jesus is so powerful because he not only calls us to be slaves, which we are, he also calls us to be friends, which is also what we are. Amazing, I am at one and the same time a slave of Christ. He owns me, he dictates the terms, and I am also a friend. So he makes me a slave, then gives me the intimacy and freedom of a friendship. But so often what we think is that we are friends so that we don't have to do what he asks us to do. Well, I'm his friend. No, no, it says we are his friends and we are also his bond slaves, his servants. No, we are friends, so we must do. We must do what he asks. Because when you are that close to someone, when you have truly, truly fallen in love with someone, you will do anything to please them because they are your friend and you want to do those things that make them happy. So these next couple of weeks, we're going to put a comma, well, tonight we're going to put a comma there or full stop or whatever we want to say. I want to come back and unpack some of the stuff. I want to unpack a little bit more around this whole thing around conversion. I want to, I want to talk about the, the modern discussion around to, be, to deconvert. Have you heard that? 
about deconverting from the Christian faith. I put deconverting on, I was typing this out, and I put deconverting out, and and it came up as a wrong word. It wasn't spelt correct. And it came up, and I did what the alternative was, and it said, no viable alternative. And I think that that is absolutely superb. So we might get into that next week. We might talk about deconverting. No viable alternative. And I'll leave you with that. Guys, will you come up and just lead us? You know, the Bible says, the Christ says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full, and that you may have it more abundantly, depending on the version that you learnt it in. Friends, his call upon us tonight is to follow hard after him, to love him, to be his disciple, because anything else is not going to be as good as following hard after him and saying yes to Jesus. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.